Section 7 of The Ring and the Book, An Interpretation, by Francis Bickford Hornbrook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7. Caponsacchi Giuseppe Maria Caponsacchi is the young priest in whose company Pompilia fled to Rome. He comes before the court in a state of great excitement and indignation. Here he is, he says, to tell the court the story, at the telling of which, only six months ago, the judges had smiled, as if to say, The sly one, all this we are bound to believe. Well, he can say no other than what he says. We have been young, too. Come, there's greater guilt. From this story he had received the jocular punishment of exile to Civita Vecchia, and now they come and tell him that Pompilia is dead, or dying, murdered by the husband from whom he had tried to save her. They had told him he need not meddle, law would care for her, and here is the result. The story that they had asked him to tell them seemed to fill the universe with sight and sound, but let him be the hollow rock condense the voice of the sea and wind, interpret you the mystery of this murder. The court had seen the beginning of this affair, and why should it be surprised at the end? He had himself foreseen it, and tried to prevent it, but had been rebuked, and, like an overzealous hound, kicked for his pains to his kennel. Now, he cries, the judges want his help, and are ready to rehabilitate him, and recognize his true value. But Pompilia, the glory of life, the beauty of the world, the splendor of heaven, is fast dying. Kindness to him does not remit one deathbed pang to her. Nevertheless, he will help them, and even burn out his soul in showing them the truth. His part is done, but he will place Pompilia before them as she really was. He will restrain himself. Calmness will help her, and so he says, Calm I'll keep, as monk that croons transcribing battle, earthquake, famine, plague, from parchment to his cloister's chronicle. He then gives an account of his family and his life experience up to the time when he first saw Pompilia. His family was old and noble, one of the greatest in the city of Arezzo. It had rendered great service in the past, and his great-uncle, who was a bishop, had saved the city from destruction and had been an example of humility and self-sacrifice. Caponsacchi had studied for the priesthood, with reason to expect advancement in the church, but when he came to take the vow, he felt himself too weak to keep it, and would have withdrawn. The bishop remonstrated with him, and showed him that there was an easier sense in which the vow was to be regarded, declaring that the church made, at present, quite other demands than in the days of the confessors and martyrs. St. Paul has had enough, and to spare, I trow, of ragged runaway Onesimus. He wants the right hand with the signet ring of King Agrippa, now, to shake and use. The church, he declared, had need of men of the world, with winning manners and poetic gifts. So, Caponsacchi says, he became a priest, and performed the usual duties of his office, with those of a man of the world. He heeded the advice of his bishop to pay his respects to certain ladies, and to acquire 
a genteel manner, a polished presence, and tact. Then Caponsacchi gives an account of his first sight of Pompilia, as she appeared with her husband at the theatre. Tall, beautiful, strange, and sad. She broke upon his vision like a picture of Raphael. As he stared at her, his friend, the canon Conti, cousin of Guido, tossed some comforts to her, making it appear as if Caponsacchi had thrown them. Conti promised to introduce Caponsacchi later, but the next day, at Mass, Conti informed him that Guido did not wish to know him, and advised him not to make Guido jealous, because, as it was, he beat Pompilia. Caponsacchi had better devote himself to light skirts or the great dame. Caponsacchi tried to take the advice, but became disgusted with both ladies, and resolved to attend faithfully to his priestly duties. His bishop, alarmed at his conduct, asked him if he were turning Molinist, to which Caponsacchi replied, What if I turned Christian? He then asked permission to go to Rome, where he could live alone and look into his heart a little. To all his friends he announced his intention of going to Rome. Caponsacchi then gives an account of the visits made to him by the woman messenger, who ostensibly came from Pompilia, but who, he suspected, really came from Guido. The letter said that she, to whom he had lately thrown the comforts in the theatre, had a warm heart, and loved him, and bade him visit her house on an evening when her husband would be away at his villa of Vittiano. To this Caponsacchi made reply, what made you marry your hideous husband? In this way he repaid Guido for his transparent trick. The next day, another letter came from her, by the same messenger, reproaching him for his cruelty, and asking only for a fragment of his love. She had heard that he was going to Rome, and asked him to take her with him, because she was wretched in her home, and her husband was a monster. The letter also stated that he need not write, but that she was ever at the window of her room over the terrace of the Ave. To this he replied, I am a priest, and you are wedded wife, whatever kind of brute your husband proves. Here he has made Guido, the cheat and spy, anticipate Hell's worm once more. Still the letters continued to come, to which he returned always the same answer. At last one came, as from Pompilia, warning him that her husband suspected him, and begging him to stay away from the window. To this he replied that, if it pleased him, he would pass the street that eve, since the street belonged to all. He determined to walk that way, in the hope that he might call Guido out of his hiding-place, and say to him, What a man thinks of a thing like you! But as he passed the window, lo, there appeared Pompilia, with the great, grave, griefful air of Our Lady of All the Sorrows. She vanished, then reappeared, and addressed him. She reproached him for the letters which, she had been told, had come from him, and which had been read to her. But she was in sore need of help. Her parents had abandoned her, her husband hated her, and she must go to Rome. He had come upon her like a thief, but even a thief, had said the last kind word to Christ, and he too might render her the service she needed much. Now that she had looked into his eyes, she knew he neither intended wrong 
nor wrote the letters, and that he was true. Caponsacchi then promised to do the service she wished, and recognised her at potency of truth. But in the evening, as he began to think it over, and to realise all that his promise meant, a new vision of life broke in upon him. His heart urged him one way, while the voice of his church urged him the other. In the grey of dawn, it was, I found myself facing the pillared front of the Pieve, mine, my church. It seemed to say, for the first time, but am not I the bride, the mystic love of the Lamb, who took thy plighted troth, my priest, to fold thy warm heart on my heart of stone, and freeze thee, nor unfasten any more? This is a fleshly woman. Let the free bestow their lifeblood. Thou art pulseless now. Leave that live passion. Come, be dead with me. Perhaps, he thought, it was best for him to trust to God to help her, without any interference on his part, without any scandal on hers. So he went about the usual duties of the church, and then returned to his home. But then the thought flashed across his mind that Pompilia might think he had failed her, just as the governor and archbishop had failed her, because he feared. She must not be allowed to think that of him, and besides, it was his duty as a priest to advise her seek help at the source, above all, not despair. He went to her. She reproached him, and again appealed to him for aid. He consented to give it, and indicated the course she should pursue. Through the day he made all the arrangements, and, at midnight, Pompilia entered into the carriage, and he addressed the coachman, By San Spirito, to Rome, as if the road burned underneath. Reach Rome, then hold my head in pledge. I pay the run and the risk to heart's content. Caponsacchi describes the journey, the incidents, by the way, and the words that Pompilia spoke. Each incident proves, I maintain, that action of the flight for the true thing it was. For the first hour they were silent in the darkness, like two martyrs somewhere in a tomb, who wait the last day, but so fearless and so safe. In the morning, Caponsacchi told Pompilia that they had passed Perugia, and were now opposite Assisi, and, in answer to her question, how long since they had left Arezzo, he said, years, and certain hours beside. He related an incident which shows how anxious she was not to delay a moment on the way, and he recalled a remark of hers that she was fearful now, because her soul no longer knew pain. Then he remembers her inquiry as to how he had learned to serve women, and whether men were not often as unhappy in their strength as women in their weakness. At another time, he says, she wanted to know why he smiled at the great gate of some city, and he told her, not because she would understand, but because she asked him. Again, when they had heard the Angelus, she bade him read Gabriel's song, the lesson, and the little prayer to Raphael, proper for us travellers. At Foligno he wished her to rest, but she cried, On to Rome, on, on. They travelled all that night, and through it she moaned low, and waved something away that seemed to menace her. Then I, 
why in my whole life i have never prayed oh if the god that only can would help am i his priest with power to cast out fiends let god arise and all his enemies be scattered by morn there was peace no sigh out of the deep sleep when they were within twelve miles of rome and he rejoiced because their journey was so nearly over she seemed to dread the interruption and said i want no face nor voice that change and grow unkind and he says that i liked that was the best thing she said at another place where they stopped he put pompilia in the care of a woman with a child and asked her to comfort her pompilia thanked him for the good it had done her and said this is a whole night's rest and how much more here too she asked him if he thought she had done amiss in making the effort to flee from guido and called him friend as they drove on from here she wandered in her mind and addressed him as gaetano and he ordered the driver to stop no more but to struggle through then drench her in repose though death's self pour the plenitude of quiet at last he continues they reached castelnuovo in sight of rome he would have driven on but pompilia screamed out no i must not die take me no farther i should die stay here i have more life to save than mine she swooned we seemed safe what was it foreboded so out of the coach into the inn i bore the motionless and breathless pure and pale pompilia bore her through a pitying group and laid her on a couch still calm and cured by deep sleep of all woes at once the host was urgent let her stay an hour or two leave her to us all will be right by morn oh my foreboding but i could not choose i paced the passage kept watch all night long i listened not one movement not one sigh fear not she sleeps so sound they said but i feared all the same kept fearing more and more found myself throb with fear from head to foot filled with a sense of such impending woe that at first pause of night pretence of grey i made my mind up it was morn reach rome lest hell reach her a dozen miles to make another long breath and we emerge i stood i the courtyard roused the sleepy grooms have out carriage and horse give haste take gold said i while they made ready in the doubtful morn twas the last minute knees must i ascend and break her sleep i turned to go and there faced me count guido there posed the mean man as master took the field encamped his rights challenged the world there leered new triumph there scowled the old malice in a visage bad and black of the scamp count guido made his charge against him and while caponsacchi was waiting and still had the opportunity to gripe him by the throat and end his career officers appeared on either hand and placed him under arrest then the room of pompilia where she was still sleeping was entered she awoke she started up and when she saw her husband 
away from between me and hell she cried hell for me no embracing any more i am god's i love god god whose knees i clasp whose utterly most just award i take but bear no more love-making devils hence she seized the sword of guido and would have slain him with it had not the police interfered she was held by them and the room was searched then caponsacchi demanded trial for himself and pompilia before the roman court i demand that the church i serve decide between us write the slandered lady there a tuscan noble i might claim the duke a priest i rather choose the church bid rome cover the wrong with her inviolate shield caponsacchi reviews the different accusations made against him at the trial which followed and the replies he had made what of the letters of pompilia to him how was it that one who was innocent and a stranger to him could write such a page she wrote it he says when the holy father wrote the bestiality that posts through rome put in his mouth by pasquin what about the answers to her letters they are clumsy mimics of his own character as likely to be bembo's as his own he wrote the prose in these letters when st john wrote the tract de tribus how came the letters to be found in his room in the inn after his departure because there were none to be found in his presence what had he to say of the clandestine visits to the house of guido as well might it be said that he flew to the moon on a broomstick a witness to these visits was a courtesan and her testimony was worthless what of the testimony of borsi the coachman who said that during the flight there were kissings in the coach frequent frenetic the coachman said that after several weeks of sharp imprisonment this was the defence he had made on his trial but the court appeared to have no faith in his innocence he must it thought be a little in the wrong he was human but then potiphar pressed him too hard to do anything much out of the way hence the jocular punishment about which his friends only laughed he was sent to civita now the murder had opened their eyes so after all he had been a real st george and guido a real dragon breathing flame so at last they had seen the spirit of guido manifesting itself and discovered that he had forged the letters of which much had been made as for himself if he had been conscious of guilt why then should he have fled from arezzo what need of flight what were the gain therefrom but just damnation failure or success in the whole flight they had not stopped anywhere an hour or diverged a step from the right road the court by its decision in pompilia's case had shown that it believed she had good cause for her flight if the end was allowable then why not the means used to that end he is done with being judged he knows himself guiltless in thought word and deed he will avow that he was blessed by the revelation of pompilia and bids them make the most of it then he pronounces an invective against guido but for count guido you must counsel there i bow my head bend to the very dust break myself up in shame of faultiness i had him one whole moment as i said as i remember as will never out of the thoughts of me i had him in arm's reach there as you stand sir 
now you cease to sit. I could have killed him ere he killed his wife, and did not. He went off, alive and well, and then effected this last feat through me. Me, not through you. Dismiss that fear. T'was you hindered me staying here to save her, not from leaving you and going back to him and doing service in Arezzo. Come, instruct me in procedure. I conceive, in all due self-abasement might I speak, how you will deal with Guido. Oh, not death, death, if it let her life be, otherwise not death. Your lights will teach you clearer. I certainly have an instinct of my own in the matter. Bear with me, and weigh its worth. Let us go away. Leave Guido all alone, back on the world again that knows him now. I think he will be found. Indulge so far. Not to die so much as slide out of life, pushed by the general horror and common hate, low, lower, left at the very ledge of things. I seem to see him catch convulsively, one by one, at all honest forms of life, at reason, order, decency, and use, to cramp him and get foothold by at least, and still they disengage them from his clutch. What, you are he, then, had Pompilia once, and so forwent her? Take not up with us. And thus I see him slowly and surely, edged off all the table-land, whence life upsprings, aspiring to be immortality, as the snake, hatched on hilltop by mischance, despite his wriggling, slips, slides, slitters down hillside, lies low and prostrate on the smooth level of the outer place, lapsed in the vale. So I lose Guido in the loneliness, silence, and dusk, till of the doleful end, of the horizontal line, creation's verge, from what just is, to absolute nothingness. Whom is it, straining onward still, he meets? What other man, deep further in the fate, who, turning at the prize of a footfall, to flatter him, and promise fellowship, discovers in the act a frightful face? Judas, made monstrous by much solitude, the two are at one now. Let them love their love that bites and claws like hate, or hate their hate that mops and mows and makes as it were love. There, let them tear each other in devil's fun, or fondle this the other while malice aches. Both teach, both learn detestability. Kiss him the kiss, Iscariot, pay that back, that smatch of the slaver, blistering on your lip by the better trick the insult he spared christ lure him the lure of the letters aretine lick him o'er slimy smooth with jelly filth or the verse and prose pollution in love's guise the cockatrice is with the basilisk there let them grapple denizens of the dark foes or friends but indissolubly bound in this one spot out of the ken of God, or care of man, for ever and ever more. After this fiery utterance, Kaponsaki becomes conscious of being too deeply moved, and that the court may have reason to be vexed, or even to imagine he was in love with Pompilia. 
he cites an incident in their journey to show that this was not so and declares that she was not beautiful in any artistic sense she had he says the face of one who bore an invisible crown of martyr and saint or the face of one careful for a whole world of sin and pain he notes the fact that guido would not have vindicated his honour if he had escaped as he hoped to do for in that case no one would have known that he had killed pompilia he argues that the court only imputed a technical offence to him because of friends who think it may bring some difference to his defence he brings out the fact that pompilia sought him only when all others conti and guillichini had failed to respond to her appeal for help what had these gained by the refusal conti had been poisoned and guillichini sent to the galleys the courts of arezzo had convicted himself and pompilia for breaking in and stealing but the courts of rome could not so easily be deceived the lie which guido got arezzo to receive he did not dare to bring to rome caponsacchi says he chooses rome and above all the good augustinian monk who had heard pompilia's confession and declared he had never heard one so sweet and true and pure and beautiful he then seeks to calm himself with the reflection that he is as good as out of life and has only the duty of a priest who has had a deep experience of life to perform i do but play with an imagined life of who unfettered by a vow unblessed by the higher call since you will have it so leads it companioned by the woman there to live and see her learn and learn by her out of the low obscure and petty world or only see one purpose and one will evolve themselves in the world change wrong to right to have to do with nothing but the true the good the eternal and these not alone in the main current of the general life but small experiences of every day concerns of the particular hearth and home to learn not only by a comet's rush but a rose's birth not by the grandeur god but the comfort christ all this how far away mere delectation meet for a minute's dream just as a drudging student trims his lamp opens his plutarch puts him in the place of roman grecian draws the patched gown close dreams thus should i fight save or rule the world then smilingly contentedly awakes to the old solitary nothingness so i from such communion pass content o great just good god miserable me the first impression made by the account of caponsacchi is that of its straightforwardness and reality it is evident that he has nothing to evade or conceal he opens his whole life for inspection he narrates in detail every incident of his relations with pompilia in the confident assurance that everyone will recognize them at their true worth will discern that they are not coprolite but parian the first note of his character is sincerity he never pretends to himself to be what he is not it is clear that he did not enter the priesthood simply to earn a living or to get some advantage the memory of a saintly great-uncle had inspired him to walk in his footsteps 
He is conscientious in his studies, and strives to make himself worthy of his high calling. He had, however, not realized all that priesthood involved, and so, when the vow was read to him, he stops short, awestruck, and cries out, How shall holiest flesh engage to keep such vow inviolate? How much less mine? I know myself too weak, unworthy. Choose a worthier, stronger man. He was one who did not wish to be a sham. He expected to keep his word when it had once been given. An insincere man would have felt no such compunctions. The brothers of Guido did not. Many would have promised without serious thought or with mental reservation. Caponsacchi's unwillingness to take the vow reveals him as a man who believed that words meant something and that promises were made to be kept. It is true that he consented to take the vow when it was interpreted in a larger and looser way, but the interpretation was not his own but that of his superior in the church, and was, no doubt, generally accepted. In pursuing the course, which he afterward did as priest and man of the world, he was conscious of no violated promise. He was simply doing all that was expected of him. It is true that Kaponsaki did not show himself a spiritual hero. Such an one would have said, either the vow means something or nothing, and in either case, I can have nothing to do with it. But he did, under the circumstances, show himself to be a man who would make no false pretenses, a man who was real and genuine. No doubt, the highest kind of man would not have allowed himself to be persuaded to pursue the course of conduct he did, but a man a little less sincere than he would have required no persuasion. Kaponsaki reveals courage. Farther on, we shall see that he has moral courage, but here I speak only of that which is physical. No one can fail to see the indications of it throughout the poem. When he declined the invitation which Pompilia was supposed to have sent him, he said to himself, Last month I had, doubtless, chosen to play the dupe, accepted the mock invitation, kept the sham appointment, cudgel beneath cloak, prepared myself to pull the appointed self out of the window from his hiding-place. Such had seemed once a jest permissible. Now I am not in the mood. Again, when another letter came, beseeching him to stay away from the window of Guido's house, he replied, You raise my courage, or call up my curiosity, who am but man. Tell him he owns the palace, not the street. Again, when after his flight with Pompilia he was overtaken, Caponsacchi faced Guido and the rabble around him with an impassive front. Although appearances were against him, and all around were ready to believe Guido's malicious accusation, he never flinched for a moment, and, as a result, came off victorious. The only fear he shows is the fear that Pompilia may think he is a coward. At first, he hesitated to do as he had promised. He tried to make himself believe that God would aid her and work a miracle on her behalf. Then there came to thought that she might think, I fear the world now, fear the Archbishop, fear, perhaps, Count Guido. His real fear is that the reputation of Pompilia may suffer through his attempt to rescue her. Could he save her and not endanger that? Could she be rescued without a breath of scandal? 
so long as that seemed possible he hesitated when at last no other course was open he acted like the man he was unmindful of everything save the deliverance of the lady from the home which to her had become a hell dr johnson said he loved a good hater if he had lived long enough to read the ring and the book and to study caponsacchi i think he would have found in him a man after his own heart i know of no one in all literature who shows greater capacity for indignation in that lower form of hate which consists merely in personal ill-will others excel him he was as good-natured as guido was evil-natured he took people pretty much as he found them and evidently viewed them with large-hearted tolerance but there must have been in him all the time though hidden even from himself a capacity for hating what was mean a capacity without which a man can never be a power for righteousness the source of real goodness in a man or woman lies in the intensity of his disposition to cleanse the face of the earth from all that smuts and besmirches it this caponsacchi had in full measure it discloses itself in the taunting tone of his letters in response to those which seemed to come from pompilia but which he felt sure came from guido himself let the incarnate meanness cheat and spy mean to the marrow of him make his heart his food anticipate hell's worm once more it is evident in his regret that when he had had guido within arm's length he had not been more prompt one quick spring one great good satisfying gripe and lo there had he lain abolished with his lie a spittle wiped off from the face of god but no one who reads caponsacchi's invective against guido one of the most tremendous utterances of concentrated contempt and hate in all literature will need any other proof of his capacity for indignation all other instances i have cited are mere mutterings of the storm which here breaks forth in cyclonic fury and by its awful power sweeps guido before it out of the ken of god or care of man for ever and ever more such a soul has in itself something of the spirit of him who will overturn and overturn until righteousness is established in the earth combined with this disposition to hate the evil we find what perhaps is the other and better side of the same feeling a confident trust in the good which no appearances to the contrary could destroy he is a symbol of the completest faith of the human heart the faith of caponsacchi rested on no proof and was contradicted by all the available evidence he had seen pompilia only once and that was enough from that moment he recognized her at potency of truth then came the letters that if accepted as pompilia's would make her vile but his faith was not lessened by them it enabled him to see through the mean devices of guido and he did not doubt her purity for a moment as well might one tell him that a serpent had proceeded from the mouth of raphael's madonna as to tell him that these letters came from her when he saw pompilia in the window even as the lying letter said she would be found at such an hour his faith rose superior to his sight and he says i thought just so it was herself they have set her there to watch 
stationed to see some wedding band go by on fair pretence that she must bless the bride or wait some funeral with friends wind past and crave peace for the corpse that claims its due she never dreams they used her for a snare and now withdraw the bait has served its turn then we see the kindly helpful spirit of the man he thinks of himself as one who has a score of strengths with no use for them and then of pompilia who has none only a kind heart would reason so these are some of the qualities of the man at the time when pompilia appealed to him for help he was not the man he afterward became through her influence but he must have had the possibilities of his later manhood in him these might never have awakened as they did into fullness of life and power but for his experience with her but unless they had already been there she would have availed no more for him than for others it is not enough that the sunlight falls upon the earth the earth must have the germs of life and beauty in its bosom it was the glory of Kaponsaki that there was that within him which made him quick to discern the revelation in pompilia's life and words he assures us that he was blessed by the revelation the first sight of her lifted him above his care for common and trivial things he saw light skirts in her real ugliness and discerned the spiteful spirit of the great dame the bishop's table with its fine food and jovial conversation no longer attracted him he found it now more amusing to go pace at eve in the duomo watch the day's last gleam outside turn as into a skirt of god's own robe those lancet windows jewelled miracle the old life faded away in the light of the new vision to which he was not disobedient the service which pompilia asked him to render was one that called for the sacrifice of reputation he was a priest and if he hoped for promotion as no doubt he did there must be no spot on his name he might well ask whether he owed so costly a service to her why should he intervene when his superiors had refused to do so nobody could reproach him for declining to help her for to do what she besought him would subject him to suspicion if not condemnation of the good and to the incredulous laughter of fools happiness and prosperity lay in the prescribed and usual course the loss of all that was most precious to him was imminent if he took the unaccustomed and unusual way no wonder that all through the spring night he realized that he was passing from an old to a new form of life he was learning that he could bear blame more easily than blameworthiness that there is something better in this world than happiness that to do his duty however hard it might be for one however humble is the surest way to the highest life in some way he had always thought so but now he knew in his own experience that the very immolation made the bliss this knowledge endowed him with that rarest of all courage the courage to sacrifice reputation to character to surrender the approval of man for the consciousness of right he would rather be than appear to be right in taking up the cause of pompilia caponsacchi found also that he had been freed from bondage to the conventional he was a priest consecrated to the service of his church how dared he attempt any other service the new mission seemed one which he had no right to undertake 
the inward struggle must have been hard and long the church seemed to stand in the way of the service which his heart bade him render what he owed to the ecclesiastical institution conflicted with what he owed to the instinct of humanity should the pleading of a woman for deliverance mean more to him than the commands of the church to which he had sworn allegiance the church's call was divine that of the woman was humbly human the questionings of his heart drove him beyond the forms and shadows of things to their core and substance they compelled him to ask whether the church meant as much as it professed he recalled that it had not stood in the way of his careless and indifferent action it had allowed him to go on as he would until some living duty straight from the heart of things had appealed to him and then it had begun to whine about his duty to it why should it have no word to say until some real work was demanded of him and then all at once became urgent it had been silent when he lived as a fribbler and coxcomb had found voice to utter a denial only when he was moved to render a human service as between the two he preferred to obey the voice of god which made itself heard in a woman's cry for help rather than the scruples of the church which addressed him only in stereotyped phrases so caponsacchi was able to divine the real obligation he was under the instinct of his nature was wiser than the formal codes of the church because he was true he acted truly experience had taught him that the church was an echo rather than a voice often the two might and did sound the same note but now that the two were not in accord it remained for him to find his freedom in responding to the real call of god he learned that while there is a visible church that well serves to remind the world of the sanctities of the past there is also a still small voice which stirs the heart to serve the necessities of the present he found deliverance from the conventional in his recognition of the actual he made the discovery which it is well for all of us to make that conscience in so far as it means obedience to the ordinary and usual must be ignored even disobeyed if we would attain to the highest form of manhood or womanhood it is evident too that in his experience Kaponsaki had learned that the great deeds of the world are as possible in the present as in the past he and those before whom he had been tried thought a heroic duty was done by those who in former ages had rescued forlorn damsels in some crisis of their lives such service was called chivalrous even sacred and it was deemed worthy of all honor when st george rescued the princess from the dragon it was thought that he had well earned the title of saint but here and now was a simple priest who had endangered what must have been dearer than life itself to rescue a girl in arezzo whom her reputed parents had abandoned and whom her husband hated from cruelty and shame was this so very different from the deeds of the ancient heroes and saints caponsacchi had learned to see that his deed was of the same piece with all the heroism and helpfulness of the past pompilia was as good as any princess better than most of them her husband guido was worse than the dragon whom st george overthrew and his attempt to save her was no less worthy praise caponsacchi no longer saw his deed in its littleness 
because it was done by himself in Arezzo, for one so humble, but in its greatness as a part of the manifestation of the love of God in human souls, in all places, in all ages, and for all who need. As he stands before his judges, he reveals his full consciousness of his right to place himself by the side of those who in past times had succoured the forlorn and helpless. Yes, I rise in your esteem, sagacious sirs, stand up a renderer of reasons, not the officious priest would personate St. George for a mock princess in undragoned days. What? The blood startles you? What, after all, the priest who needs must carry sword on thigh may find imperative use for it? Then there was a princess, was a dragon belching flame, and should have been a St. George also? End of chapter 7